With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Playing Out From The Back and the hosts with the mostest. We're back. We've got Aaron White, we've got Mo Spencer and we do have a special guest for you but let's just check in with the original guys. How are you getting on? Because we've not had the full quota for a while. Yeah, all good. Uh, I think it's the first time all three of us have been on in 2021 so it's good. It's good to have everyone back. Yeah. Full, full strength. The winter the, the win yeah. break. Yeah. We've got, we got full strength again. We've got full strength. And we've brought, we brought someone in on loan um, for, for January transfer window. We're, we're joined by the Daily Mail's Adrian Kajumba. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? And thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're all right. We're all right. And then we're great, yeah, grateful for you to obviously uh, join us. And uh, I know you're uh, friends of the show, which which is great, great to hear. Um I'm going to let Aaron kick off because Aaron has been on our case for the first question and I know he's, he's, he's ready. I can hear the paper. I can hear the paper rustling. I can hear oh, it. Man. So I'm going to let I'm going to let Aaron jump in on this one. Go on, my friend. And I'm sighing as well. Aaron's <laughs> away. <laughs> uh, no, you know what, Adrian? Um, okay, good. It's, good. it's good. It's good. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be professional. Okay. <laughs> you know, we've known each other for uh, near, near enough 20 years now. So I have to, have to put some jokes aside every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> first question, really. Actually, let's, let's, let's hear from you first. Let's see. Uh, just, for, just for the listeners. Just, you know, a quick introduction of yourself and how you came about, you know, where, where you are today. Okay, um, I'll try and do this quickly because it's a long story. So I'm Adrian Kajumba, football reporter at the Daily Mail, um, main, mainly covered the clubs in London and down on the south coast. Wanted to be a journalist since I was, um, since I was a teenager, really, mid-teens. Um, so that kind of made all my educational choices through school, sort of the GCSEs, college and uni. Um, quite simple because I knew what I wanted to do so I was very handy and it was just a case of going through that process really coming out of uni doing a postgraduate course in journalism um, sorry NTTJ course to get the kind of qualification you need to be a journalist 
and then you know working your way through doing a work experience try and get that on your cv and just kind of wait for the doors to open for you to get where you need to go what what made you uh become a journalist when did you first realize that you wanted to to be one um so it was yeah as i said early teens mid-teens when I used, I used to do a paper around um around Mitchum where I lived and it kind of just grabbed me when I was doing that uh cheekily reading the back pages in between dropping them through people's letterboxes and just kind of thinking about you know what everyone was reading that morning was going to kind of shape the way um you know that they thought for the rest of the day the things that they were they were interested in talking about um so I kind of thought you know it's possibly quite a, you know potentially influential job to have um, like a lot of a lot a lot, lot of a lot of boys that age, you, you want to be a footballer. In my case, realize you're not good enough. Uh, <laughs> so, what you know, what's the kind of next best thing you can do to try and be close to maybe the level you dreamed of doing? And you know, where, where I can't play it, the, the the kind of dream started there of trying to trying to write about it, and thankfully I've managed to to get there. You. Uh... I've noticed I'm going to jump in here because obviously I'm trying to do my homework and I was in the air of the fact that David Ornstein follows uh, Adrian. So as as a as a, an Arsenal fan for all my sins, what, what's what's it like? I suppose you see someone like David. Obviously, he goes in and he's he's obviously got his his sources. As a, as a reporter, have you had to sort of build up a lot of trust um, to get to get certain bits of information? How how do you go about doing that and building up your network? Oh well. I... I kind of, um, I mean, yeah, you're right to, to start with. It is about building up trust um, with people. Uh, it's not easy because, well, for a couple of reasons, it's not easy because I think there's there's maybe a natural suspicion um, when you're a journalist calling people up for the first time. Um, I can I can kind of laugh about my naivety now, um, but I remember when I when I first kind of got to the level where I was working for national newspapers, I remember just kind of taking down a list of sort of, I can't even remember how many were on it, but sort of some of the sort of best young players in the world and just calling up their agents and stuff and just thinking, oh, as soon as I get on their radar, they're going to remember me and they're going to think like, oh yeah, when something's going on with X, then we'll call. But obviously, as I said, it was such a naive thing to think at the time. Um, and it was obviously just, just showed my age a little bit and you, you kind of need to be a little bit clever about trying to, to build up your contacts and have people want to talk to you. And I mean, in some ways you got to have something to offer yourself. Um, you know, yeah. no, no one's just going to be picking up the phone to, to you, certainly at the start, um, you know, wanting to give you information. Um, and obviously you just, you learn that over time. And I think, it, I think it works both ways as well. Even for us as journalists, we learn who we can trust as well, um, as well. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of two way process really. No. Very, very, very interesting. Yes, I'm here just listening. I mean, I'm a bit in all ages. You, you, you know, we have, our, we have our... We have uh, a... Listen, we, we and AI always message Adrian and I'm like, we have we go through a range of my emotions and I just say, Adrian, what do you think on this? Because I can't really understand it. We go through this all the time. So I just love to hear about his job and sort of uh, and what he does. But, um, but yeah, Adrian... I know that you you mm, went to Southampton yes, right, yeah. Uni, right? So that was your that was your main that was your first sort of was that your first sort of main link? Is that why you say the southeast as well? So you sort of had strong so links I in that to, area. I went to university at Southampton Southampton Institute. It was at the time there's two universities in the city. So basically, while I was there, 
um, that was where I got some of my first work experience at the local paper there. Um, cause I was on, a, I was on a journalism degree and that's what part of the degree is actually getting a work experience and, and things like that. So when I was having, I think it was like reading weeks and sort of breaks in my studies, um, I was kind of going down to the local paper, just doing stuff for free. Just you, you kind of learning like the real, real basic parts of the job, going out on the street, asking people questions and, you know, getting the, that, the, you know, the kind of process you have to go through when you're doing that kind of news side of the job, um, getting people's names, jobs, ages, all that sort of stuff. It's real, real, real basic stuff. But um, as I said, in, in, in terms of getting into the industry, the importance of work experience, it's just about sort of having it on your CV and, having being able to show an employer that you can do the job is as important as and some people might even say more than the sort of qualifications you've got so basically because of my link to that to yeah. the city um obviously then i kind of came back to london after my postgraduate course um worked in news for about 18 months and then i went back to southampton um, and they had a sports job going on there on the on the sports desk, obviously um, as one of their sort of sports reporters so you know, in my time back working there in the newspaper, I ended up getting to help out on Southampton a little bit, um, you know, on and off. So I, I kind of got to know the club, its history, um, the area quite well. So, you know, that's why kind of it's, it's kind of natural for me to, to lean back and, and do stuff in the South Coast. Obviously, we've had Bournemouth in the Premier League, Brighton are up now. Um, so I, I do still get down there as much as I can. And you, you, you still you still obviously maintain the strong link the strong links down there to them clubs. So through your through your previous sort of um relationships you just keep you've just kept them going from uni sort of through and then to now where you can sort of just speak to someone at Southampton or speak to someone at yeah, Bournemouth if you hear that, something, that's, right? That's pretty much it. And I think as as well as the people within the clubs, it's it's like people in the areas or ex players and stuff like that. You know, you never know when when you might need uh, a sort of ex-player from a, a club you've covered um, at that local level. And because you've obviously, I want to say do the groundwork, it's kind of a bit like that because you've, you've spent time building up that relationships and you've in some ways become a friendly face to them. When you then go to a, to a national newspaper, which I think sometimes you can pick up the phone and call somebody from a, from a national newspaper and people are kind of on guard a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, but obviously, if you've done that, that you spent that time when you were younger and you were from the local paper and you know people knew that you were maybe a little bit less likely to be a an issue for them you know when they're first hearing you're calling from the echo as opposed to you're calling from xyz national newspaper if you've done that groundwork it just makes it a bit a bit easier uh, to go back to them later on in your in your time as a journalist you you've obviously gone through uh everything as a news reporter as you know, as you said, work experience, uh, trainee reporter. I know you did freelancing as well. Uh, so you've grown through the stages of of your own profession, which is uh, which is great to see. Uh, and now, obviously, you're a well respected football reporter for, like, say, one of the biggest uh, in the country. I'm going to put you on the spot of a question here. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favourite person to interview? Because I know you've done a lot. Um, when I when I think of that question, the favourite, my, my, well, there's a couple actually, this might be a little bit of a surprise. The favourite 
my favourite interview that I've ever done in terms of the personal interviews was um, was Gerard Piquet um, at Barcelona. And I'll tell you why that was. We went over to Barcelona. It was just before Luis Suarez was about to start playing for them. And at that time, PK was obviously, I think probably a lot of people would have said the best defender in the world. Barcelona were winning everything. Obviously, massive club. Him himself was a massive person, um, sort of, you know, in terms of football. And, and I guess a, a celebrity as well. And like when you when you think of all those things that put him up on a pedestal, he was so so humble, so sort of like down to earth, so kind of welcoming to the group of journalists that we were that we were that went over to speak to him. And it always kind of struck me, um kind of the the difference in some ways from what I what I was expecting to to what I got. Um and kind of like how, how down to earth he was. I mean, there's a few, there's a few other interviews as well that, that that I could mention that kind of stick out for me for different reasons, which I'm I'm happy to depending on name on drop, the name drop, name drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, it does, seem, it does seem a little bit like that. And All of them do it. <laughs> no, no, it's, All it's, of them. It's, it's not quite like that, but I mean, yeah. So the, the PK one was good. Ronaldinho was good for my own kind of personal. Um, for me personally, because Ronaldinho is probably my favourite sort of footballer, so it was good to be able to get into a room and chat to him, even though it was only for a short bit of time. So I'm happy I got to do that. Um, when I went to the Mel interview, Wilfred Zaha was quite important for me personally, sort of professionally, because it was quite nice to to go there and, and do do quite a, a decent piece with a good yeah. name. Um, when I first went there. I mean, obviously, Jaden Sancho is flying at the moment in terms of his career, so it was good to do one of his first interviews when he went when he went to Dortmund as well. So there's a few that kind of stick in stick in the mind. If um, you know, I was I was going to say the reason why I said at the start about one who might surprise you is because um, I always like speaking to footballers who are very yeah. nice, being nice people, um, and one I always remember yeah. from my my early days when I was in Southampton was Andrew Sermon, who I think must be one of the nicest people in football. He was just always just, just such a very pleasant kind of person. Mm. Um, and th- those kind of things always stick with me. So whenever I'm talking about, you know, sort of good interviews, nice, nice people, nice interviews that I've done all those times talking to Andrew Sermon when I was, when I was young and obviously, you know, he doesn't have to give up your time to someone who's just learning the ropes. I was always appreciate how nice he was as a person. Yeah, it does make it a little bit easier. Uh, that's that's for sure. But I was gonna just touching on it, obviously those names there being been great. And I, know I without being stating the obvious of sort of sticky interviews, but you're someone <laughs> like let me say I would say people like Roy Keane, for instance. I've heard I've heard certain things about when you do that. But has there ever been a uh, been a time when you've got to an interview and you're like you are a little bit excited to speak to this person and it's just literally been taking blood a blood out of a stone have you ever read oh, blood out of a stone <laughs> blood out of a stone <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say blood out of a stone I've had a couple of <laughs> I've had a couple of awkward ones um, one of them I don't even really want to mention the name but I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll, tell, I'll tell you the circumstances of it. I remember um, this is another one, actually, going back to my days at Southampton. Um, when they were on a pre-season, they went to, like, a, an army camp. 
for a preseason kind of, you know, those sort of drills they do, team bonding sort of exercise day. Uh, had an interview sort of set up through the club, I think, um, with uh, their striker, one of their strikers at the time. I'm trying to be a little bit willing to get it all together. Um, yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's sweet <laughs> out. I'm hoping it's Anyway, yeah, so it was all cleared, saw the player before, beforehand. And he was, and he was. I said, "Yeah, we we good to talk later on." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine." So I was like, "All right, cool." Because I heard a few things about, about the player, and I was a little bit nervous about doing it again. You know, this is when I was, you know, I was quite young and and raw. If you see what I mean, so you're still very, very nervous speaking to these players and stuff. Anyway, they finished their exercise, and then I come to speak to him. He just shut me down. I said, "Are we going to do this chat?" He was like, "No." Wow. <laughs> and I was like, "But but you said it was all right." And obviously, this is what I'm saying. Where I was so nervous. He was like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to talk to you no more. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I was thinking, oh, I've, I've come out all this way. I've told my boss I'm getting this interview. And he was just like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. And he and he shut me down in a way that was, it wasn't even, you know, Aaron, you talked about mm. being professional. It wasn't even polite the way he did it. He just like completely slapped me down and made me feel about two inches tall. And I just, just honestly, I just didn't know what to do. And so that one, that one will always stick in my head. But I think he's actually quite a nice guy. Um, I think as his career developed, he he kind of lost that side of him. But then a couple of people said to me at that time, he was you know he was he was a little bit difficult like that. But that didn't make it any easier for me at, at the time. If you see what I mean, very very kind of mm. embarrassing. And on top of that, I mean, you can put aside the embarrassment in this job in some ways if you if you get the interview and stuff. Um, but I didn't even do that. So <laughs> sounds sounds like Gareth Bale to me. It's just like a, it's just like a massive fail. No, no name, never. No name. I thought it was right, Garofalo. You know what? I, you know, you know what, Adrian? You say that. I think. I think when you say like the players that make it easy to interview, I think that's something like in any walk of in any walk of life. If someone helps you when you're at the start, it all it gives you that little boost to carry on because it could have been. You know, it could have been that striker you had your first interview with and you say, boy, I don't think I'm, yeah. I want to do this anymore. Mm. And you end up, you know what I mean? And you end up not not even doing the job you wanted yeah, because, to do. Yeah, I mean, when, you when something I mean? like that happened, you, 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 you think, you know, you know, what did I do wrong? Did I approach it wrong? Or what, what you know, mm. what different things could I, you know, could I have done? And obviously, if that had happened to me two, three, four times, you'd have to start looking at yourself and thinking, oh, your, your, your technique's a little bit wrong. You're going about <laughs> this the wrong way. Um, but, but luckily it was, yeah, like yeah. Said, you know, a few people, I think I caught him on a, on a bad day. I think he did have a few of those bad days early on, um, in terms of how he dealt with the media. I didn't really like it. Um, but you know, you live and learn, you live and learn. <laughs> um, I'll, I'm going to stay on, I'm going to stay on the, um, the old interview sort of track. And we're gonna go. I'm gonna go to um, mm. the post-match <laughs> interviews and the uh, pre-match interviews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because the post-match and the pre-match are. I've, I've actually in um, in the lockdown. Mm. I've got into them much more. I'm watching Jose. I don't know why. So I found mm. this thing on YouTube and it has all of them, like all of the pre-match and post-match. And I've heard you a few times. Um, first, mm. let, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions here. Who's who? Who's good in interviews? So who's your who's what manager's good in interviews? And uh, the second question to that is, what's it like? Um, I know it's not not so much the same. In fact, it is the same on Zoom now. What's it like when someone asks the manager a question, like a specific question, and they're expecting a, a 
an open after and he just says something <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get what I mean? Like, so, so, so it'd be like, it'd be like, what can you give us an update on the on the fitness of Theo Walcott? Will he be uh, available for this week after he's missed a lot? And he just goes, yeah. But you're expecting a little bit on the injury, a little bit on the reasons he's been out, um, or this and that, but he just gives you the one word answer. Like, what, what's it like? What do the journal, what do the journal say? And like, I how think, is um, it basically? The, the best way I can kind of sort of answer that very quickly, just to start with, is to, to kind of say it's a little bit about knowing the managers. And I, I'm going to go back to Southampton again because um, Gordon Strachan, when he was there, again, this is something that I, that I noticed or experienced quite early on in my career. Um, Gordon Strachan was a little bit. I can't find the word. I probably hmm, I'm not even sure I should probably say the word, but I, the the words that's coming to my mind are probably not what I should say. But he he was somebody you basically had to be on guard with when you're when you were talking to um, as a manager because he would. I don't know whether it was he'd like to belittle people or make, whether it was just like his sense of humor or things like that. But I remember I, I don't know if you've ever seen, but he's just, he was the he was the the manager who like when somebody would say something to him along the lines of "Oh, Gordon, can I have a quick word?" He'd say like "velocity." You know what I mean, <laughs> rather than like rather than rather than just go. <laughs> exactly, that's, that's, that's the thing. So. It could, it could be a it could be a sense of humor, you know. It's, it's a pretty it's a pretty normal thing to ask somebody, and kind of when when everyone goes into manager when everyone goes into journalist manager interview mode, you know, somebody going Gordon can I have a quick word. You, you know what they mean if you see what I mean. But he would kind of do these things yeah. occasionally just to try and that's what I mean. I don't I don't know whether it is quite belittling or whether it's a sense of humor and stuff. But that, that's what I mean about knowing your managers, for example. So you have to know. Um, what basically what they're like to know whether you can't get away with maybe a lazy cliche or something like that. Do you see what I mean? Because that that's that's kind of where that that kind of question falls into that kind of bracket. Um, in terms of managers, in terms of managers who are good, yeah. one um who I kind of saw develop in terms of his English was Pochettino. Because again, I did a bit of Southampton when he was there, and he was using the interpreter. Uh, when he and then when he obviously came to Spurs, he didn't use interpreter and he was speaking more and more English. And uh, the good thing about Pochettino is he's, he's like, when you know, I said earlier on about I I I will always have time as, as you know whatever value you place on the importance of me having time for somebody. But I'll always have it for people who are good people. And and Pochettino was very much that he was actually like a, a good human being first of all, in terms of how he dealt with people. Um, and it seemed like it wasn't like just an act for the cameras because you speak to people around the club, players that he worked with, ones that he got on well, obviously some he fell out with, but people around the club and stuff at Spurs, they, you know, coaches that he'd worked with would, would say, you know, how, how good he was as a person, you know, very, very personable. And I always found that he got better and better as his English got better, obviously. Um, and and what we what we want as journalists when you speak to them, you, you kind of want detail, you want insight. You want you want good lines, good copy, as we say. And Pochettino, as he got, you know, as his English improved, he just got better and better at that. He would, you know, he would tell you little stories about from his own career. And obviously, where his career was quite recent, Pochettino, obviously, you know, God, actually, I'm getting old because 2002 feels quite recent to me. But obviously, he played, you know, he played in that Argentina team <laughs> against England um, in the World Cup, and it was his foul, obviously, against Michael Owen that 
you know, David Beckham scores a penalty from and stuff like that. So he's got little career, he's got little story, he had little stories that he would drop in every now and then. And sometimes, you know, from his career and he's talking about, you know, playing with Ronaldinho, all these all these recent names and stuff. And it's, you know, little things like that that just give you a nice little insight, little bits of colour and detail. And, and Pochettino just got better and better with that. And obviously he, he did it with a smile. He, he got to understand journalism um, and the media. Not, not journalism, sorry. He got to understand the media. Um, better, I felt, in terms of what they wanted, and sometimes he would offer these things up without, without even having to ask. And I, I always felt he came across quite well, Pochettino. Um, I think, I think Frank Lampard at the moment is very, very good in his handling with the media. Again, I think that's well, there's a couple of reasons. He's a very articulate, um, articulate man, um, educated man as well. I think, um, and I think he obviously understands the media. Obviously, he played in his country his whole life. Um, sorry, well, he didn't actually because he obviously had a spell in the MLS, but you know, he sort of grew up in English football, so I think he understood and, and understands the, the media and the modern and the modern media as well, actually, because of the year that he played in. So I was I've always found Lampard very press, um very good as well. Even there are times obviously he can be asked a question which you know he doesn't like, but he's still got that decency to um to treat the journalists with respect, not try and talk down to them. Um, on camera or off camera, and I mean, look, you you see, there's a common theme in the sort of people and things that I I like personally. Um, you t- just treat people with respect, um, and if you do that, then that, that's fine. That's fine by me. I think that's good. That's good. And you're right about Lampard. I saw his recent interview uh, straight after the game where they were trying to get stuff out of him, and he just kept his cool. And he was re- really good in in that interview. Mm. Uh, just going back to. Uh, your interview with Zaha that you mentioned previously. How does something like that come about? Mm. Do you is it just as simple as just asking his agent, or do you have to have like uh, a good relationship to with him to to build that trust up? Um, is a, a combination of ways you can get the interviews um, through the clubs, through the agents. Sometimes the players are plugging something. Um, and there's sort of, you know, one of their brands or sponsors or they're supporting a cause and there's kind of a designated media time that they have, um, you know, that comes along with that kind of engagement, mm. whatever it may be. Um, the Zahar one was one I'd just been trying to get for a very long time. Um, and I was, to be fair, when I, when, when I think about it and when I kind of had that, in this case, it was a, a moment of relief when I walked out of the room because I knew how important it was yeah. for me to get that interview um and it was just it was just so weird that actually at the time when I really really needed it it actually all came together um and I was able to get it um you know Zaha was doing some charity stuff you know at the time and I managed to kind of get something on the back of that he's obviously you know I think he's I think he's spoken about it recently about his you know donating money to charity um to good causes sorry from his wages that you know that he's been doing all his career and things like that, so managed to manage to get an interview. Effectively, but I think he was. I think this one was to do with a foundation that he was setting up in Ivory Coast, and he was having meetings about that. So I managed to speak to him just after that, and as I said, it was very fortunate that it all came together at that time when I'd been interested in speaking to him for a very long time. Because at the time when I spoke to him, he, he didn't. Yeah. He hadn't done too many interviews. I think I may have been second or third that he'd done with a national newspaper. He's done a little bit more of late, um, but at the time it was a it was a, a good get for me. I felt. So, Adrian, you get your phone goes off, 
you come up with some, you got a juicy headline that someone's giving you a bit of information. Well, how, how does it happen? Does it you can you just run with it, or is there a nice long uh, sort of chain before you can actually start putting your name to something? Very know. good question. That's a very good question. Um, because uh, it kind of relates to something we touched on before when you mentioned David Onstein and you're talking about contacts and stuff like that and building relationships. And it often depends who you've had the call from. Okay. Um, so, you know, in, you know, we were talking, we were talking about, or I was explaining about me trying to effectively get people to trust me. At the yeah. same time, I, I speak to some people who I know I can trust off one phone call. Um, because of who they are, because of what they know and who I know they know and what they do. Um, but there are some there are some people who may tell you something and it requires another phone call, you know, a second phone call, a third phone call before, um, you know, before you can maybe run a story off it. Some things are so potentially controversial that you need... Um, you know, multiple phone calls on them. You want to hear them, you know, two times, three times, four times from from different sources inside a club, outside a club, another agent, second agent, you know, whatever, wherever you need to hear them from. Effectively, you know, get them backed up by multiple sources. Some stories are obviously ones where there are, you know, you're entering potentially dangerous legal grounds if you only run it off that one phone call, and you right. may need another side of the story effectively offering somebody a right of reply stroke chance to put their version of an event, for example, into the story before you can effectively run it safely. So long story short, you're not going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. no one so you know, there, there are, it depends on the type of story, for example, and it depends on who tells you um, in terms of how quick the process is from getting that phone call. Um, before you then see that story appear. Okay, cool. I'm waiting for Mo's coming. We sound outrageous. I'm just, I'm, I'm, no, no, nothing outrageous, nothing outrageous. I'm just, I'm just soaking up all the information, and I just love the ins and outs. I love the ins and outs of the, of the, um, of the game and uh, and and your job to be fair. I could never do it, but I, I love the what you actually do, which is quite good. Um, I just want to go a little bit off, off of off of the transfer topic, and I just want to go over to in 2014. You were named one of the most influential black people in football, um, which is a which for me one of the 30 is is for me is a, is a massive achievement um, um, for you. Um, I just want to ask you a few questions about this. Did you did you know this was coming and? And 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 give us some detail of, of how this come a, come about and 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 yeah, just so tell us I'm about just it. Really. Two thousand and fourteen. What, what would I've got that for? I think, <clears throat> I think that would have been after I moved to the mirror. So basically, this is a this is a really good initiative by the Voice, uh, Leon Mann um, and Rodney Hines. Um, they basically came up with this uh, the list, the blacklist, which is basically to highlight. Um, the work that basically black people are doing in football, um, to shine, you know, shine a light on their work, um, give praise to people who maybe you know, who, whose work and contribution to the game is maybe not being recognised. And and you know, I think Leon 
Leon Mann will obviously speak about this a lot better than me, but it's not about uh, um, a division thing. It's not about, you know, because I, I think, you know, whenever the whenever Leon does, whenever they do this list, sorry, people say, oh, well, why isn't there a white list? Why isn't there a this list? Why isn't there a that list? And it's not about that. It's just about, as I said, shining a light on a, a, a group, and well, an underrepresented group, firstly, but whose whose work may may go unnoticed, and you know, I don't think there's anything anything wrong with that, and and you know that's that's how it that's what you know what the gist of the list is. As I said, Leon will explain it a lot a lot better than I than I can. Um, but I th- I think if I remember 2014, that would have been I want to say that would have been my move to the Mirror. Yeah, I think it would have been after I moved to the Daily Mirror from the Daily Star. So. You know, I think obviously, you know, moving moving those moving yeah, papers so. like that is becomes quite a you know a thing that a lot of people see. Um, so, so you went yeah, you went you went, went from yeah, the star went from the, to the, from the daily star to the daily mail and then into the daily mail in 2019. And I just think it's just you know you, you get a little bit more profile when you when you move and things like that. So I think it just it just got noticed noticed. Um, and just just from following the blacklist, you know, people put your name forward, and you know, there's a panel that, that votes. So that's that's how it all came about, really. It's obviously, it's obviously, you know, everyone likes to be recognised. Yeah. It's a bit of a pat on the back, and it's it's you know, there's there's, there's, there's no getting away from it. It's a very nice thing. Congratulations from me, man. Because as you say, it is a you know an underrepresented, um, you know, group of people, and. Um, and we've talked about this sort of thing on the podcast before, so it's definitely something that... You know, yeah, definitely. You should, you should gladly the welcome thing, the, the praise. The thing I like about the Blacklist, um, actually, and, is, is that it actually... Um, you know, there's, there's all sort of areas of football as well. And as I've paid more and more attention to it, there are so many people working yeah. in the game that I've become aware of as a result of it. So, you know, as I said, there's people who are, who are you know, grafting away in, in their respective fields... Who, who people may not know about, so it's nice to even you know for their their work to be promoted and, and what they're doing to be seen, um, and for them to be put on the on the radar as well. So it's it's, it's a great initiative. It's 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 an initiative I can see no, no doubt. And yet, like uh, Moses said, it's definitely one to be proud of. One hundred percent. I got one last question for you, Adrian. Uh, obviously, you do match reports, you do interviews, but for me, the best part of your job is basically going to watch live football every weekend. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is the best goal or best moment that you've witnessed live? Wow. I've got five. Run them down. Run the top five. Live. <laughs> right. So, in no particular order, because they're all very good. Um, I was talking about I was talking about one of them just now on Twitter, actually. Eric Lamelles Rabona is one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of, I stood um, up and clapped in my house. Oh, it was on the Europa League, on the sport, but I did stand up and clap in my house. He paid, for, he paid for sports in Lisbon. It was um, a youth Champions League game. Um, and I actually can't remember the guy's name because it was that level. I, I didn't know sports in Lisbon's youth team. Forgive me. I just remember the goal. Um, uh, ball bounced up just on the edge of the centre circle in the Spurs half, it was Sporting Lisbon, Leighton Orient. Oh, sorry, Spurs versus Sporting Lisbon at Leighton Orient. Balls bounce up on the volley. He's just smashed it in from about 45 yards on the volley. Oh, Unbelievable God. goal. Um, I'll have to send you the video. Ridiculous goal. Um, I was at White Hart Lane, I remember, for Samuel and T. half out. volley. 
which whenever I see that anniversary <laughs> on Twitter, I have to like it. Um, the the press box the press box was perfectly <laughs> behind the strike. Uh, the press box at Spurs at White Lane was like quite low down. Ball comes across on the right hand side, and Umtiti was a left back at the time. Obviously, now he's more known as a centre back. And he, I don't think, well, I was going to say I don't think I've seen a ball hit as sweetly as this. But then one of my other goals, the ball was hit pretty sweetly. So maybe that'd be the wrong thing to say. But obviously, you guys know as as football followers, you know, half volleys look so good. Samuel Umtiti just catches his ball left foot on a half volley, mm. flies into the far corner. I think it was Brad Friedel and goal. Just like watching it go into his top corner. Being right behind it makes it look even better. So that was um, one of them. Uh, talked about balls being hit sweetly. Andy Carroll's overhead kick against Crystal Palace. I was at uh, London Stadium for that a few years ago. Unbelievable goal. Um, and the, the other one in my top five is Meza yeah. Ozil against Ludogorets when he runs through. Oh, you there keeper, for that? That's unreal. Sits two defenders down. <laughs> oh, ridiculous goal. Ridiculous goal. That's unreal. Um, <laughs> I bet you that night was yeah, cold. Yeah, I bet it was cold. It was quite cold. And do and you, know, you know the thing about that goal, actually? I did... It was a weird one, because I think, if I remember correctly, Arsenal were 2-0 down in that game. Um, and they won it 3-2. And Ozil's, Ozil's goal was, like, in the last minute. 3-2, yeah. You know, right at the end of the game, when basically you're, you're thinking you're writing about an Arsenal comeback. And this is just like, you know, I'm just talking about the kind of nature of the job here. Um, and when you're doing those night games and stuff, you're, yeah. as the game's going on, you're spending less and less time watching the game because that's just the way it is. Um, because you are, you have to write. And, you know, with technology now, you're, you're filing on, the, you're sending your match report on the whistle and stuff. So you, you actually have to rely on the crowd quite a lot of times to kind of actually let you know something's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, with, you've got the adrenaline of a last-minute goal that changes your work. You, you know, Got to click your brain into gear pretty, you know, your brain's got to switch into gear pretty quickly to write ultimately what's a completely different story to what you were writing before that goal. It's not even like you're just, it's not even it's like it's a the fifth goal and a 5 0 win, for example. It's a it's a game changing and as a result, match report changing goal. Um, yeah. so you don't fully get to appreciate the goal because you're more thinking. Oh, insert swear word. What have I got? To, what have I got? What have I got to write? Yeah. What have I got to change? Yeah, you know what I mean. But then, when you get back to wherever yeah. the hotel, or you've seen it on Twitter again, you're just thinking, "Wow, what a goal!" What a so, goal. Adrian, what you're saying um, is you're quite happy that Paul Tierney blew up his whistle um, <laughs> when that ball went through on on Sunday. Because if well, that... yes, yes, yesterday, yesterday, I wouldn't have minded so much. On Sunday, I wouldn't have minded so much. I was on my sofa. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> I would, I, you know, I, I feel for my colleagues. It's, it's weird because you know when everyone, when um, I'm saying normal person, when when a football fan who's maybe not a journalist is watching a game of football and there's late drama, you're thinking, oh, great, you know, what a great end to the game, or you're, you're reflecting on the drama, but. At, at times, my thoughts yeah. do go out to the journalists who were there because it's because I do this job. And yes, I may be on my sofa <laughs> and it did not affect me directly. But, you know, all journalists have been there when a the last minute goal has just caused absolute havoc. <laughs> yeah. Um, with with what they got to do. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of journalists will understand. I think some of the best things that I've, ne- that I've written have never been seen because of last minute goals. So, you know. It's just the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Where you know, one of the parts of the job. Yeah, I got, I got one, one more from me actually, Adrian. So I just want, stepping away, I suppose, from the, the the journalist pit here. 
Your opinion in the game, obviously, since it's changed a little, it may have changed, it may not have, um, in your opinion. But do you are you seeing a little bit more bias towards the bigger teams in refereeing decisions at the moment? I know we've got bar there. I'm going to go big. I just want to hear your opinion. You've been watching a lot of football. You've probably seen a lot yeah. more live games than we have. But are you seeing th- that bias at all? If anything, I, I think it would have. I think you would have seen it more pre prevar, because I just think now with, with the decisions that are being referred, there's, you know, you, you look at the penalties that are getting overturned and things like that, and decisions that are being given. I, I think it's probably harder to be biased now, because a referee does have the chance to double check a penalty, uh, for example, double check a red card. And and you know when when they're getting called over by the, the video assistant referee or when they're being told to have a look at it, that will straight away put an element of doubt in their mind, um, which is you know your first call may not be the right one. I think another factor maybe, and in fact I, was, I think there might even have been studies to this effect yeah. that have been done the no crowds, how that's affected um, officials maybe. Being under less pressure to give certain decisions, I think there's, I think there's been studies done about how like their heart rates are different and there's various things that they're feeling that are different because there aren't, you know, crowds in the grounds. I think that's an issue. Um, but no, the 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 bias thing, I don't know. I think I think VAR probably removes a little bit of that because sometimes you know you can you can see a referee be pressured into giving something or feeling like he has to give you know, a certain team, a certain decision and his instinct may be to give it. Yeah, and back but then they'll review it. And and you've you've got those you've got those you've got those, you know, that, that team, the VAR team, in a in a they're kind of distant from it, removed from it, from the pressure of the situation because they're at Stockley Park. Yeah. And if they if they give the referee that the kind of nod yeah. or the kind of tap on the shoulder if you like to go and have a look at something again, then you know, I think, I think back, that will back play then, on you had the mind, likes yeah. of Roy Keane and Yaps Dam in your ear all game. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and back then you didn't with, have yeah, the chance to exactly. yeah. have a second look at it as well. Yeah. It's to the, the, the officials in Stockley yeah. Park are removed from the yeah, situation exactly. like you and your sofa in ages. When <laughs> you can't get the atmosphere. So yeah, no, okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna before we before we before we uh, go into just a, a few little bits uh, that we'll all sort of discuss in the um, in the Premier League today. I just wanted to ask you a uh, uh, question similar to Aaron. Um, now, um, could you give me your three players <laughs> to watch? So three up and coming players who you believe are wow. going to be stars. Put me on the spot there. Thing is, I know. Two, if, 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 if it's a big question, it's a big question. Two or three. players now are writing these down. No, no. Me, me, me and Adrian <laughs> talk about this kind of stuff all the time, so. <laughs> right, okay, this, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> I, did a, I did a list recently. Um, I don't know, I, I, I try and do it every year. I didn't do it last year, but I did it um, a couple of weeks ago of ones to watch for this year. So let me... Um, let me have a think about who's on that list um, and see. I'll tell you what, one, one guy is doing quite well at PSV at the moment. I'm quite looking forward to seeing how, he's, how he gets on. He's actually not on this list because I've 
the, the list that I do is is kind of more for ones who are a little bit lesser known. But and uh, Nani Madueke left Madueke left yeah. Tottenham twenty eighteen. Went to PSV, doing very well. Got in a team England Youth International. Um, Nani Madueke. What's his um, name? Used to be at Tottenham, uh, sort of attacking midfielder, right winger. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's one. I'm trying to think of uh, who else I should uh, chuck forward. Let me have a little think. Oh, oh, oh actually, let's have let's have a Premier Premier Premier. Yeah, let, let's mean, have I'm a Premier yeah, League yeah. based I'll one you, or two I'm, Premier League like based. I've seen Lewis Bate at Chelsea, central midfielder. Um, I've seen him a few times or FA Youth Cup, and he, he's been on the bench a couple of times for Chelsea. Um, left-footed. Um, he he looks a little bit to me, and a couple of people have said this, almost like the player that people thought Jack Wilshere may have been able to become had he not been, obviously, had, had the really bad injuries that he's had. Um, he's kind of diminutive, like small, small left-footed midfielder. Um, he can run with a ball, he can tackle, he can pass. Um, he looks like he can can do a bit of all, do a bit of everything. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. And the other one who yeah. just come to mind actually, Tottenham. oh yeah, um, he's good. Dane Scarlett at Tottenham, who um, was Spurs' youngest ever player, I think, until last week when Alfie Devine played in the FA Cup against Marie. Um, I was talking to people about Devine. He's um, sorry, I was talking to people about Scarlett because um, he's on this list that I did a couple of weeks ago and. They the way they described him was you know they were just talking about somebody who just loves to score goals like doesn't care how the ball goes in the net he just wants to put it in and when you think like if you think of the age of of us guys obviously we've seen we kind of grew up watching teams with like pure number nines uh, strike partnerships and stuff like that and then it kind of changed and you're seeing like a lot more of a technical footballer come through the academy system and stuff like that and and you know Dane Scarlett was just described to me as somebody who just like doesn't care how the ball goes in doesn't care how far it goes in for doesn't want to be outside the box like doing step overs and nutmegs and yeah, tricks he's only... like he just wants to put the ball in the net and then so I did I did the list and then I saw <laughs> this came out and then I saw 10 days or so later just last week Spurs are playing in the FA Youth Cup yeah. the 2-0 down and Dane Scarlett scored five six... goals <laughs> and you're just like wow. And you know, don't get don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not yeah. saying I'm the first person to ever. Right. Obviously, I can't be the first person to say he's good because he, as I said, he was Spurs' youngest player last season. People would have known about him before I did. But you know, somebody like that, you just yeah. you know, somebody somebody describing to me as a bit of a throwback of a player. And as I said, if you look at how um, players are changing in terms of what English football is producing, to kind of have somebody who's just obsessed with goals. And he's just going to put the ball in the net. I just think I can't, you know, really want to see how he how he comes through and how he develops. And obviously, you know, getting that appearance at Spurs last um, last year says something about him. To get in a Jose Mourinho team at sixteen, not easy. So um, yeah, I'll, ne- I'll never forget. I went to I went to a FA 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 Youth Cup final. Um, it's two legged, so I went to it was Chelsea versus Man City. Must have been about. Four years ago now. Um, yeah, and Phil Foden and Callum Hudson Adoy was playing Trevor Chalabar. And I remember Foden. And I, I think Man City got uh, 
Chelsea absolutely mm. battered them. Chelsea had a mad forward line. Their forward <laughs> line looked like it was ready for the Prem then. You know what I mean? And obviously, mm. Callum hudson the is playing now. I don't know where the other two were, who they were, but Foden was just walking around with that number 10 on, just doing all... I just remember thinking, there is no way this guy cannot make mm. it. He must be knocking on the door. He was just sliding around, all the touches, all the fruit. He just had everything. I'll never forget that. And I think when you... When you see that in these young players, when you see it, you know it. I don't think as long as their head's in the right place, you know that eventually down the line, you know what I mean? It might not be for top number, but some I mentioned one other player, which I mentioned I mean? Aaron, and there's a, there's a midfielder at Man City called Romeo Lavia, who they got from Adelaide last summer. And I, I mentioned him because, again, the way people talked about him, um, somebody said to me that he's the best in his position, even wow. now. And obviously that is. Some statement for somebody who's somebody who's, who's of, of the age he is, and obviously you've got Fernandinho there, for example. But that you know he's kind of being spoken about very, very highly. He's only just come there. I think he surprised people with how good he is. Um, so he's going to be one. I think he maybe comes through in the next. Um, I think in fact he's just turned seventeen. I believe I think he was seventeen this month. So you know, age-wise, he's made maybe not be too far away from from getting some. You know, maybe on the bench or. Some game time maybe in the next year, 18 months, two years. So that's another one to look out <laughs> Got all these names down ready for uh, football manager stay. Get me get get it going with these uh with these players, get something moving. All right, well, so right, I guess now we move on to uh some of the some of the Premier League, the Premier League stuff and um maybe have a little just uh, discussion on a few topics. Um how about we start with uh, John Stones? Start with John Stones. We'll start with you, Adrian. How do you think uh, John Stones is, let's say, changing form, rise back to England level? Uh, uh, you know, where do you I think this has come from? About this last night, and it's, um, it, it's good to see because he's so talented. Um, I must admit, I, I thought um, for a long time, I wasn't sure that the, the kind of penny was going to drop with John Stones because I kind of felt he was making mm. uh, sort of same mistakes over and over again. It was kind of sloppiness. It was taking too long on the ball. Almost, he's obviously very, very good on the ball, and it just felt like there's kind of sometimes as a, def- as a defender, you just gonna have to clear your lines. Um, and he was kind of tripping himself up um, time and time again, and he he kind of got to got past an age where it was and obviously you know he was at Everton from quite young so exposed to Premier League football quite young and it just felt like it was never gonna it was never gonna iron those mistakes out of his game but yeah it seems to have done it this year Man City's defensive record is obviously so impressive um I think you know I was I was at the Southampton game a couple of weeks ago when um John Stones was excellent and Pep Guardiola was praising him and talking him for sort of you know, praising, talking about him sort of in his personal life and saying that that was a big thing. Obviously, I'm sure we've all seen John Stones has made a few headlines along those kind of lines. Um, so that that's obviously got to be a part of it, having that side of things settled. Um, I think as well, finally, City seem to have. Well, I say finally, finally is maybe a bit harsh given companies only just just gone not too long ago, but they they look like they have a long term partner for him. In Diaz, who, um, as a central defender, looks like he can do everything. I, I find that you would want a central defender to do. He looks like he can do it. Was he last season um, and the season before? Like 
Like, he was the mm. main player, and now he can't even get looking. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's, there's been times when Laporte's fit and he's not getting on the bench or, you know, he's not getting on the pitch. And I think, I mean, Laporte was obviously unlucky. He had a bad injury last year, which would have just kind of opens the door, stroke. You know, I don't want to say somebody who has a serious injury, it, it leaves an element of doubt in, in a manager's mind because obviously if you're a good player, you're a good player and the manager will wait for you to come back and give you a chance. But... You know, I think when he came back, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when he came back, he might have had a few problems still. So, if you're Guardiola, obviously they didn't they didn't replace company when he left, if you remember, because I think they they wanted Maguire and they didn't end up buying another centre back, so they left themselves short when Laporte ended up getting injured. Um, so it was obviously a position they needed to to look at anyway, um, and obviously Diaz is where Guardiola obviously wasn't. And where Laporte's maybe fitness possibly wasn't right there in terms of him ready to come back in and just hit the ground running and say, I'm your man. There was still like a little a little opening there for another centre back to come in and Diaz has gone in there now and you you can't see how he gets yeah. can't see how anyone they're, they're gets def- in front of him unless he's injured or suspended. I was just gonna say their defensive record this season is is a joke at the moment. What about you, sir? Absolute oh, joke. Look on now. I, you know what? I think sometimes as well, you've got to look at what uh, Guardiola's tried to implement. I don't think it's that easy to come in and, unless you're like, uh, say, world world class coming in to adapt to his style of play that quickly. And I think Pep's had to adjust. And I don't think, I think just as John Stones was getting to grips with the way Pep was playing, changes have been made. And I think, as you just pointed out there, Adrian, I think they were leaning towards having someone mm. like Harry Maguire in. But I tell you what, I, can't, I look at it now, I can't. I couldn't picture Maguire in that side. I really couldn't. Nah. I, I was, I was going to say that. Um, you, in, those, in, these pep, in pep teams of previous, yeah, the centre-backs had to be able to defend one-on-one and Maguire is not that guy. But as, as, I've, said in, as I've said in other podcasts, this year... Man City have gone to a more defensive formation with the two holding midfielders. And I think that's more aimed at being able to win the Champions League. They're not swashbuckling yeah. anymore. It's not end-to-end. It's, it's a bit more methodical, a bit more boring, a bit more um, not not so much going on on the pitch. You know, they still do their things where the fullbacks are coming in and all that, but not so much of that. And I think, obviously, Diaz is a pure defender. And I think that Stones has to have a pure defender. <laughs> Diaz is the sort of centre-back. He looks like he don't even talk. He don't say a word. All he talks about is football. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like when you see a defender, he looks like he just he gets on the training pitch and he's just tackling, heading, like, you know what I mean? He's passing out the back and then he comes off and he might talk then. But when it's on the pitch, he's busy as usual. Do you know what I mean? And he, I think maybe Stones has never had that, apart from when he's playing with company. Um, he's never had that. Like, Laporte is still quite a flary centre-back. He's not like a... Like he's a, a, he's a sort of centre back. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. like, like you know, they yeah. both play, don't they? Yeah, that that's exactly it. And I and I think I just think he has to just a brute. He just on there to defend. I'm not saying he can't play because he can play. He's like in a yak stand mode, just a brute, and he's just on there just to defend and 
Like, and that's, I think that Stones just probably looked at the left. I don't think there's any pressure. Right. I don't no think there's any about. pressure. It's all about Stones PSG. Now. I think you look to you the know left. What I mean? and you've got, oh, I've got Vincent Company. I've got the what they put as the golden child in Lepore a little bit. I think there was always a bit of pressure to try and keep his keep his place. I think with a couple of injuries where he's, and now he's ended up being these two, I just feel that there isn't that pressure and he's actually enjoying his football again. I, I mean, what I know of what happens around uh, at City is that yeah. Stones mm. is, is well liked as well. So I think that right now is, is, is probably even great opportunity for him to do it. And what a time that hopefully, and the fingers crossed, we do have a Euro Championship still because we could do with yeah, um, a centre-half to sim form right now. <laughs> I've got to say. So, yeah, uh, credit to John Stones and, mm. and uh, yeah, Man City, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've slowly yeah. found their way back up to where they need to be because it's it's looking interesting. Do you, do you guys think it's season, uh, a bit of genius from Pep or do you reckon it's a bit of luck? As in, he's he could have been sold in the summer last year, but obviously the injuries to Laporte and this summer's kind of put John Stones ahead of him. Do you think it's genius that he's waited this time for luck for for Stones, or is it is it a bit of luck? Who's yes. taking this one? I think he's always, he's always, he's always... Who's going for it? I... Go on, Adrian. Yeah, so I was just going yeah. to say Adrian? he's always spoken well about John Stones, hasn't he, <laughs> Guardiola? Which which suggests that there's a faith there in the player, um, and I think as well the 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 type of football that Guardiola plays, obviously, as soon as he went there, everyone was going, oh, John Stones is a perfect defender for you and vice versa. You know, Guardiola is a perfect manager for John Stones. Um, so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's luck. I'd probably just say credit for him for persisting maybe when other people might have expected mm. him to just go, nah, this is not working. This, this guy's never going to learn, basically. I, I always think that with Pep Guardiola, there's always a chance. Um, I think if you're in his squad, there's always a chance that you could get in and stay in. He changed his squad so much. Like, you know, Foden's been their best player for the last three games today. And he's just not, in the, he's not even, he don't start the next game. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like uh, they're, they're 10 points clear and he can afford to rescue. He, he needs to play his best team. But I always think, with him, you just always got a chance. Like, you know, Zinchenko ain't played for about eight, uh, you know, eight eight months. Now Zinchenko's in there every week. Do you know what I mean? I think you, you always have a chance. And I think he, he always give Stones a chance or to mend it. Like, everyone gets a chance. And I think it's just up to you to just, just keep that spot. So, I, mm. I think he, as long as you're there, he was always in with a chance. He knows what he's capable well, of. What are you, what are you guys thinking about the, uh, the Man United-Liverpool game at the weekend? Yeah. So, <laughs> just because oh. to me, right, I, oh. I, I set, put something on Twitter yesterday. Mm. Yeah, that, These that kind of big games say. now are just <laughs> so boring for me. Like, I think, for, I think there's managers out there that are so afraid to lose that they'd rather just come away with the point. And in a big game like that, so I, I'm going to say for, for that more to, to, to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because they're, they're in a great position at the moment. And Liverpool, for me, they're in probably the worst form that they've been in that I can think of in the last at least two seasons. Uh, their front three aren't scoring. Uh, they've got midfielders playing at the back. There's, there's a lot going wrong. Not wrong, but there's a lot that United could have... Yeah, and United could have taken advantage of that. And I just think they played with the handbrake on for, for so long. I know Pogba had a on. chance or two, 
But there was times where they could have gone on and created so many chances and gone to win the game. And for me, that's the difference between, uh, you know, a winning manager, like a winner, like Alex Ferguson was at United. He didn't care who he played. He could have put out any play. He could have put uh, Johnny Evans, John O'Shea in, in midfield and still get them to win that game. And I think that's that's the difference. Mm. I, I, Aaron, I see it as a different... I see. I, I think it's. Di- I think. I think it's slightly different now. And in that, I look at Jose Mourinho as this person for this example. You don't lose to the top people around you. Basically, you don't lose to those five or six that are around you. You beat everyone else. Yes, United had a good chance to go and win it. It's probably the, one of the better chances people are going to have mm. to win at um, win at Anfield. However, they did have their chances. But they must get. A, they must get a point. They get to a point in that game where again. We're not going to get anything here, and you've got to then be a bit conservative of what what you do. And I think they would have probably been in, in a better place to take the point than than to lose. That's how that's how I see it. And I just think that that's just uh, someone yeah. like Jose has kind of installed that now. You don't want to be dropping points to 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 people around you. But I've got to say, watching uh, to watching Liverpool, it is that I'm, I'm just a bit I'm not convinced at the moment and I think that they need to to invest where they where they can they can, how can a team be that reliant now since Virgil's gone out of the way they haven't scored uh, correct me if I'm wrong Adrian you probably got the stats if they haven't scored in four games did I hear something crazy like that oh, I think it's four or three I think it's three yeah. at the moment yeah they haven't done well at all man yeah I think it's three The thing, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, what I will say, guys, is everyone's up to it now. Pep's the most attacking manager in the world, and this guy's now closing games out. I think the inconsistencies, I think the inconsistencies of every team is now making teams think, right, we want to win this, we want to win this, but we cannot lose, we cannot lose because because the teams, every team's just so inconsistent at the moment, and I think that's what breeds that. Because when teams when teams are putting when uh, teams were putting teams away like Liverpool and Man City mm. when they went them seasons getting ninety eight hundred points do you think they'd step on the pitch and do that Man Man City were relentless mm. I'll never forget mm. relentless you couldn't even get out of your half like it was horrible like I remember Arsenal playing there like three 0 down can't get out of our half out of, it's just you know what I mean it was relentless and I think every team's taking a back foot now it's not just you know. It's not just one or two teams. It's every team. And I think that's that's why everyone feels like at the moment the excitement's gone from the big games. But it will be back. It will be back, you know. It's just one season where I think I think there's a lot of teams that think if we don't lose that many games... I think that's a catch-22. Yeah, we could win this league. I think, that affects I think that's what's causing this. Uh, a lot of teams with the Mourinho mentality. You go, you go Man United-Liverpool one Sunday. Two days later, I don't know, Man United are playing whoever, West Brom, Fulham. And... That mentality is still in their heads, and that's why some teams are just scraping those games or getting draws in those games again, and and it just affects their form and morale. I think yeah. they need to be ruthless in those games, man. So they set that precedent for the weaker teams. I kind of agree. I agree with the idea that um, yeah, kind of been touched on that. You know, that was a missed opportunity for for Manchester United yesterday. I. Um, Fabinho, Fabinho's excellent player. I, I had no concerns about him playing centre back yesterday from a Liverpool perspective, but um, I think from a, from a Man United perspective, 
yeah. if you if you look at how basically Jordan Henderson's cruised <laughs> yeah. through that game playing a centre back, and that shouldn't really have been allowed to happen. Um, <laughs> I think I probably, I, you know, I remember off the top of my head the one one time he was being pushed into the channel by Pogba, and it was right over by the touchline in front of the in front of the in, you know the assistant referee. Mm-hmm. How how and why they didn't give you know Jordan Henderson a, a yeah. tougher time in that game, I don't know. Um, I I do get the um, you know the other thing you guys have been talking about about not losing these games, and and when I look at when you look at Man United's record in all of these big games this year, they've not won one. I think they scored one goal from penalty against Spurs, and they've lost against Arsenal and um, and Spurs. And if you look at you know Man United played I think City at home. Uh, Arsenal at home, obviously Spurs. They lost, you know, went down mm. to ten men. Chelsea home, and if you if you look at the way they played in those games as well, it's actually it's actually like they're actually trying not to lose. So it actually looks like quite deliberate. Obviously, they lost the Arsenal game um, to the Aubameyang penalty, but it didn't look like, you know, I think Gary Neville's mentioned it in all of the commentaries. You know that if you if you lose this game, you know you you can only be angry with yourself. Sort mm. of thing. They played that way in all of those games, where it's like they've not gone all out to win it. Um, and I, I I agree with it. It feels like um, Solskjaer in these big games is is more concerned with not losing them and thinking let's just get a point, not be beaten, and then we're going to pick up our points against everyone else. It, it seems you know what credit to him, distance, though they're top like of the league, so. everything, just just from <laughs> watching know? them. Yeah, they're top of the league, man. So yeah, for real. Yeah, they can't they are. And, and, and... Can't knock it. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you can't. You can't. That's fair enough. The, the other thing I was going to say in, in terms yeah. of the, some of the way. He, maybe teams are approaching these games as well. I think this is where you're seeing one of the impacts of there being no fans in stadiums because, you know, when you get into that sort of last 10 minutes of, mm. you know, games, some of these games, you know, the crowd are whipping up an atmosphere and stuff, you know, they're not allowing you to just knock the ball around at the back and play it safe, you know, whether you whether you like the style or not. Mm. If you're chasing a goal late on, they're telling you to lump it forward. Now, now players aren't under pressure to do that if they yeah. want to. If they want to keep knocking it around in their own half, they can because no one's on their back, uh, putting them under an added pressure to play it forward. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that's I think that's a factor as well in, in maybe some of these yeah, games. Sure. Um, what I will say is that was a that was a fantastic uh, fantastic football debate, football debate, lads. Um, but let's get uh, before we wrap it up this evening. We want to get your um, your your top four for the Premier League this season, Adrian. Man City what are you saying? What's going on? Yep. One. Um, okay. Oh, what did you say there again? Knew what, what was coming, Adrian. Mo, 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 you know what? Mo, Mo, yeah, Mo, oh, more, more credit to you for saying second when you said second. <laughs> Oh, Adrian, Adrian, I've got laughed yeah, off of even by Man season. United fans. Yeah. Yeah, I've laughed at a towel. I'm a little bit, I'm on slightly safer ground now saying it halfway through the season. So fair play to you for calling that when you did. Yeah. Third? Oh, this is tough. Third place? Oh, third, sorry, third Liverpool. Third Liverpool. Yeah, fourth is the tough one. <laughs> You can go down. I'm looking at the table now. You can go down a long way. You can go down a long. Way. Do you think Arsenal are still in with a chance? No, because Arsenal Arsenal have still got 
that thing that I thought they might have got rid of. I thought they might have got rid of it, but it seems that they haven't. Just kind of mm. dropping. You remember that game you lost to Aston Villa towards the back end of last year? I think Arsenal were doing all right at that point. And I just yeah. thought, why have they lost this game? Why have you lost that game? But they just still yeah. they just still got that in them. I know they're obviously you know, on a good yeah. one now, but I just I just fear Arsenal might have that in them a little bit too much. I'm probably going to go... I like Leicester, but I'm probably going to go Spurs fourth, just because... I think they've had Spurs have had their warnings in terms of dropping the points and how costly it can be for them to do what they've done against Crystal Palace, Wolves and Fulham. I think they've had three really uh, big warnings close together. Um, and famous last words maybe, but I don't think I, I don't think will Mourinho and all the players will allow those sort of things to happen too many more times this season in terms of chucking away points like that. Um, and I think we might see a little bit more of maybe what you saw against Sheffield United. Yes, I know Sheffield United is struggling, but maybe when Spurs go one up, they'll get that second goal. Um, and maybe there's just a little bit of... Just just backing Mourinho maybe to just be able to grind out enough results. I mean, obviously Leicester are doing well. Fell off last year. Chelsea are there. Obviously got scored with so many players in it, but Maybe I'll just go, maybe I'll just go Tottenham. I just feel like as well comparing him to Chelsea. I think maybe Mourinho knows a little bit. He's, he's just teamed a little bit more settled. Maybe he's a little bit more sure of what he wants to do with his team. Whereas obviously Chelsea is still kind of finding their way with you know making things work up top. Whether it's Abraham Giroud, obviously Werner struggling. Where does Havertz fit in? Hudson Odoi maybe should be playing more, but it seems to be a little bit too easy to to drop, not play. So maybe just Tottenham, just as a result of being a little bit more settled and the Mourinho factor. Both. <laughs> I'll hand over the to Sam, you then, the Sam, Sam, to do the, to yeah. do the no, roundup, the Sam roundup. Adrian, obviously, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, yeah, putting up some, some interesting questions. We tried we tried to get you to, to bleed a few names, <laughs> but you, you were on best behaviour. Yeah, yeah, some of the stuff, obviously, I can't. But I'll tell you what, though, I've just remembered the name of that Sporting Lisbon midfielder, because normally when I need the goal, I just go on YouTube and just type in Sporting Lisbon crazy goal against Spurs, and it comes up. And uh, But his name's Fabrice Fakobo. Unbelievable goal. Go, Googling that, Googling that. So, um, for anyone that's listening and they wanted to see, obviously, your, your stories or your, your, sort of tw- your tweets, where, where, where can they find you? Right, so I'm on Twitter, Adrian at Adrian J Kajumba, surname K A J U M B A. Stories are all on Daily Mail, Darkodo UK. Go to the football section, my stuff will, will be in there. Can't wait to uh, read some controversial content on there. I know, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going to be all right. I'm getting him back on the show if I read anything yeah, funny there. So, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, well, you have when, to come back on at the end of the season. Nah, that's second, yeah? You guys won't be allowed on it. <laughs> if Man United come second, that's it. I think this pod will be over. It won't be one season. But pleasure. And uh, yeah, great to have um, the, the full team back. Um, be sure to, to tune in um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your usual uh, outlets and podcasts. Tune in, comment. 
if you've got anything outrageous you want to share with us, please do. And I'm <laughs> sure Mo will try and beat it the following week. Um, but that's been playing out from the back. Tune in next week. <laughs> Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.